I'm here with Sean Harris, a Kita for Home Plus student from the United States. I asked Sean how he enjoyed learning with Kita over the course of the year. Kita was really an amazing experience because I got to learn three new things every week. One Kumash, one Mishnah, and one Gamara. After each week, I got to discuss those things, and I learned a lot. I also asked Sean what were his favorite parts of the Kita for Home Plus program. My favorite part of the Kita lessons um, are getting to go onto Zoom and actually discuss them because then it's a two-way conversation and not just learning, it's interactive as well. I also spoke to Sean's parents and asked them how they felt about Kita. Yeah, we love the program. It was phenomenal. It, it exceeded our expectations for sure. Sean learned so much. It was providing him a basis to go to high school for yeshiva education. We just appreciated all the learning that we did every week. Do you know a family looking for a Jewish education solution for their children? Kita offers serious Jewish learning at an affordable price. To find out more, visit kita.org. That's K-I-T-A-H dot O-R-G. Everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, your weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. I am here with Harabanit Mali Bravsky. Hello, Harabanit Mali Bravsky. Hello. How are you? Baruch Hashem, how are you? Yofi. I'm Baruch Hashem. Mali Bravsky, who are you? She is a senior faculty director of Shana Beth Program and in-house social worker at MMY. She is also a clinical social worker with a private practice in Gush Etzion and is currently serving as a field advisor for YU's Wurzweiler School of Social Work in Israel. So good luck on that. Thanks. Okay. Uh, we're also here with Harab Johnny Solomon. Hello, Harab Johnny. Hello. Hello. Harab Johnny is a teacher at Midrash at Lindemaum, MTVA, and Matan. He's an editor at Mosaic Press, a virtual rabbi, and an independent Jewish education consultant. Beyond this, Rav Johnny writes a daily thought on Daf Yomi and serves as a postdate for his local shul in Evan Shmuel. If you are a Daf Yomi learner, you can subscribe to Rav Johnny's uh, Daf Yomi posts either by WhatsApp, right, Johnny, or even on your, on your Facebook feed, correct? Your prolific what, Facebook. What, Facebook, even email now. You are. We've email, email newsletter. We've nice. gone big. Okay. Yeah. And finally, my name is Ruben Spalter. I am the director of the Rimonim Teacher Training Program at the Herzog Academic College in Israel. I am the Shorashim representative. I didn't remember mention this before. I don't know why. At Irguna Rabbani Sohar for English-speaking countries. And if you don't know what that means, that means I help people establish their, prove their Jewish status. And I'm also the founder and director of Kita.org, the online Jewish classroom for families. Classes begin August 30th, so call me. Anyway, uh, today, with the beginning of Elul, we're going to go into a series mo moving towards Rosh Hashanah. Uh, we're going to talk about a series called She'ila Tshuva that appeared on Khan Achadisre, and it also appears on YouTube. Maybe Johnny in our notes will sh will share the link for the the YouTube link that you can watch. It's in Hebrew, and She'ila Tshuva is a series that brings together two people for a for a discussion. Two people that have similarities, but one is Choser. As they say in Israel, if you if you want to know our Hebrew word of the of the week is Choser B'Sheila. Choser B'Sheila means someone who went off the derech in English, we would say, right? Is that the way you would say it in English? Went off the derech? Choser b'she'ila. 
as opposed to someone. Why are you laughing, Johnny? You're the Hebrew word. Of the I week. wouldn't put it that way, but we'll come to it. It's fine. Okay. That's how from people would say a person who used to be religious and is no longer religious. You're right. There, that's an interesting question of the parallel of the mm. term. Which is exactly what we're going to talk I mean, about. It's also important to clarify the reason they use the expression Choser B'Sha'ela is because it's the opposite of Choser B'Tshuva, which in Israel, Tshuva means answer, right? We think of Choser B'Tshuva, somebody who's like, you know, become religious, but it's. Right, but Choser B'Sha'ela is playing off Choser B'Tshuva. It's playing off the dual answers, meaning of the I word. Tshuva yeah. means return, Tshuva means repentance, but Tshuva can also mean answer. So, I don't know, that'd be interesting. We have to get off Shalom Court to tell us the etymology of the phrase Choser B'Sha'ela. But I didn't see this going this direction. I think what? that's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious that that's where it comes from. No, no. Who like, coined like it brilliant. and when did it come ah, into ah, the Where did it come who from? Who coined it? Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, I'm sure by the end of the episode, Johnny will have a, uh, a good answer for us. You don't have a, like a word lexicon dictionary behind you next year, Mishpat Ivri. Uh, what do I know? Mishpat Ivri, I have that. No. <laughs> anyway, uh, so it's called She'ilat Shuva, and it, it's a discussion, a conversation between a person who was Choser B'She'ilah and a person who's Choser B'Tshuva, and they essentially, these two people switched worlds in a sense. There's a lot of sim some similarities between them. They tried to like an artist or an artist, a musician and a musician. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, I mean, they're not exactly the same, but they, they're discussing sort of the place they came from. They're bringing quotes. They're, there was a lot of interesting, they quote um, either psukim or poems or songs that are meaningful to them and sort of describing their lives and what brought them to where they're coming from. So this was brought to our attention by Rav Johnny. So Rav Johnny, I'll, 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 I'll ask you to sort of describe um, beyond what I've, the basic uh, contours of the program, describe why, what it is, why it's important, and um, you seem to have liked it a lot, so why did you like it? Okay, so firstly, thank you. And I should also add that my good friend Rabbi Alex Israel wrote a post about this a few weeks ago. Uh, and that some of the episodes are available on YouTube, some aren't from Chutz Aretz, but I believe that that problem may be possibly surmountable. Nevertheless, the series Sheila Truba, as mentioned, you have a Choser B'Tshuva and a Choser B'Sheila, and they meet in a significant place, in Bet Bialik, the house of Chaim Nachman Bialik in Tel Aviv, somebody who came from one world and then went to another world and tried to somehow take from the rich values of Judaism uh, into establishing a secular world which still was uh, guided by some of those values but not necessarily those laws. So for some people that's a place that they identify strongly with, some people very much not the case. Still his poetry very much uh, is found and, and uh, is heard in the streets and in the schools of, of Israel. And so these two people come together. Uh, each has mentioned either an artist or a poet or a, a, a writer, and they share their poetry or their art, and they quote religious texts and may well speak to them, and they describe their parallel journeys. One who's going from a more religious world to a less religious world, one was going from a more less religious world to a more religious world. And uh, they speak openly, and they don't speak at each other, but with each other. So it's a conversation. And it's actually quite a rare thing to have a television show where two people sit down and talk honestly about values and feelings and philosophy, uninterrupted by, you know, car chases or any other things. There's something very, very simple about the model. Yet by listening to them, we can learn a lot of lessons about journeys they've taken, but also journeys we're taking. Jo questions about education, about what influences us, about what sometimes pushes people away from religion, and what draws them to it. So 
overall, I found the model to be raw, sincere, authentic, uh, refreshing. I think that's something we don't do enough, where people just talk about their religious journeys and bear all. They say, these are the things that, that alienated me, and these are the things that brought me uh, towards practice. And neither one is judging the other, they're simply listening to each other. Molly, share your, uh, your impression of the series and what you gained from it. Yeah, I think uh, it's very similar to Johnny. I found, uh, uh, I, it's, it's fascinating to watch. It's, it really draws you in. Um, I think the value of watching it is, which Johnny alluded to, first of all, dialogue and discourse, which is increasingly rare in today's culture. And interestingly, I also like, I kind of look at Facebook posts about it. I read the, the ones on Alex's post and also on Johnny's. And what was striking to me was even before people started talking about the value of the show and and like um, what they gained from hearing the people, you know, the, the ideas the people themselves were expressing, there was so much appreciation for just two people in dialogue from two different worlds speaking respectfully and listening to each other mm. and being open to um, to to having to having real con real respectful conversations without prejudgments. Um, and and there was no there was no arguing there was there was nobody was trying to convince anybody of anybody else they were they were every conversation they're trying to to understand the other person to hear the other person um, often finding the commonalities not not alighting the differences and, and and sometimes talking about those differences but really with it was just about respectful dialogue and, and open conversation and, and I think just that was valuable. Beyond that, I think that there, there was just so there was a, a richness to the conversations that was worthwhile. So, like as Johnny said, a lot of insights into um, in, into into what people are struggling with. I, I'll say that what I found most interesting for me, like what I took away from the show, is that the people who were moving from a um, I don't know which direction to go first, but let's just say from let's start from a um, non-religious world into a religious world. The values that they kept talking about were um, they were looking for for meaning, and they were they were and and, and they were they had the sense that something was speaking to them, something transcendent was speaking to them that was absent in their secular world. That there was meaning they, they kept like they, they just had this internal sense of something that was drawing them in something transcendent and they, they would talk about the emptiness that they found in the world that they were living in and the values that were ostensibly, ostensibly supposed to create meaning and they didn't find it particularly fulfilling and they were drawn to a life of more meaning and the chilonim or the people who had let's call them the people who are choser because I, I don't want to define anybody they could all define themselves however they wanted to define themselves what they would talk about was um, what they were what, what had moved them into the world out of outside religion I think almost everyone I said, that we saw said this, or that I saw in the individual shows that I watched, was they couldn't take anymore the, um, the, what they considered the, like, the, 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 the narrowness and the oppression of the ritual, ritualized, a lot of them said the words halacha and shulchan aruch, right? They were like, I can't, I can't take those details in the shulchan aruch. They, they, they needed the freedom or they, they found that world extremely oppressive. They found the the, the strictures too binding, and they were, they were and as, as we said, all of the people who are on this show were finding meaning in their lives in some way or another. But they found that the that the limitations of the book and of the work 
um, limited them in ways that they could they could no longer find themselves comfortable in. I found that to be a very interesting kind of um, duality. Okay, so I'm going to respond to both of you. Thank you both. And be the contrarian, because that's what I am so often. Um, <laughs> what can I tell you? Johnny, you recommended it. I, I mean, I, I learned some things. You talked about the idea of dialogue and discourse. And while I agree with you that they were definitely respectful of one another, I don't feel that there was much dialogue at all. Meaning what I felt was going on was each person, they're clearly, they don't tell you this, I'm going to show you this, but there are producers that are asking guided questions. Meaning they're, they're not having a conversation. Each one is there to tell their story or their, their whatever. And, and I didn't feel like they, like, except in certain instances where someone would say something very deeply personal that was affecting, and, and you know, you would get a reaction, you would get a response. There was interest, but it wasn't, I didn't think there was, they were there for a dialogue per se. They were there to sort of give their spiel. And so therefore also, if you talk about honesty, so you have to ask yourself, I know I'm very skeptical when it comes to media, and that's fine. Look, when, if you're invited to go on this program, why in the world would you do it? Meaning, wh what is the goal of the person who's going to show up to this program? You don't just show up and say, oh, I want to have a religious dialogue that's going to be on Israeli national television. You have something to promote. You have, so you have some kind of agenda. Not in a bad way, but that's the, that's the way media works today. That, you know, it's not just about three people for nothing who get together and have a podcast each and every week in order to have a meaningful discussion. That's very, very rare. And I'm like, Johnny, I'll let you respond. So they were respectful, but it wasn't, a, I didn't feel like there were so many other questions that like you wanted to ask. A woman's like, you, you know, my parent, like I, one of the women, one of the, I don't remember the names because it all kind of mixed and mushed together. There's one woman who's an artist. She grew up in a relatively modern home. And, um, and uh, she said, uh, you know, I went to art school, went to secular art school, and my whole family said, you're not going to be able to be, be religious, you know, if you, if you go to secular art school. And then she describes how, basically, they were entirely right. And so, but nobody asked the next question, which is, okay, how much of that is belief and how much of that is your friends? No, nobody ever asked the, the next question, which is, because that wasn't the role of the person that was there. It wasn't a, a show, it's not a show about faith and belief, it's a show about, I'll tell my story, you tell your story, this is my art, this is your art, this is my organization, this is what I do, and, and they're very nice to each other, which is fine, but it's not, a, it's not a show about belief, it's a show about people talking about themselves, which is basically what, what, media, what media really really is. John, do you want to respond? Because I, there's a, then I want to follow up with another I, I, question. I do, I'll, I'll take two things. Firstly, I, I think you're cynical, at least on this matter, <laughs> but what I would say is there's a vast difference I'll between that the mindset about how we speak of faith and religion outside of Israel, and here I'm speaking of the States, the UK, and inside of Israel. In Israel, we wear our faith on our sleeve. And actually, these kind of conversations are far more prevalent than necessarily meets the eye. Here, there's a camera. But these conversations happen the whole time. They happen on street corners and Kiev. Wait, wait, but, but Johnny, hold on a second. My point is, this show... Faith in God. My point is, this show was not about faith in God. Nobody, I, I never heard once, oh, oh, do you believe so, in God? I never heard that once. That's not true. I did. On the content, it's not true. They definitely were. Right. They oh, were very they, rare. Some conversation was just a given. It was like, well, we both believe in God, so blah, blah, blah. And ah. other there were people who said like, but I don't believe in God, which is why even though we have so many similarities, I can't, I, I, I don't think that that's true. I think that that's, that's a now. You felt that it was really getting to the heart of the issue when you were listening to the I, conversation? I, I, I don't want to jump, but let me, John, I want to answer the question. Let me let Johnny finish, then I'll say what I Okay. Asked. 
So I, I would say God actually played a, a significant role in a number of the conversations I watch. But secondly, I, I just want to, and I'm, this is not a plug at all, but you know, I do spiritual coaching. I meet with people, right? So just uh, well, why is a, it not a plug? Well, I'll plug Johnny. <laughs> not, You're looking not, for a spiritual coach? Trying. Meet with no, Johnny. No, please. <laughs> uh, well, I'm saying I, I met with somebody a couple of weeks ago who themselves has been choosing to step away from practice but wanted to talk, okay? And so if, I was, if you put a camera on that conversation, okay, me and some guy, we're having a conversation. To what extent were we talking about religion and faith? To what extent were we talking about journeys and choice? I'd say you can't, you can't take a knife and cut between one and the other because the whole reason that I meet with people is to understand who they are in their journey because their journey plays everything into who they are, what they believe, and what they struggle with. That's why we believe the religious guide needs to know people. So these conversations are about people, their journeys, their experiences, because all of that has a tremendous impact on their experience and their perception. And I would say, and just one final thing, and then pass on to Mali. I think what's refreshing about these conversations is each person knows if they're wearing the shoes of the other, they could easily be that other. There was never a sense that, oh, I would never have made that choice. They were like, if that was in your situation, and, and uh, often the person who became more religious had a very different experience in terms of religious practice and experience to the person who left it. Or there was tremendous humility. So of course, it's a TV show. I totally understand there's editing there, and, and there was some kind of intentionality of the directors. But, no, but in Israel, we do have these conversations. I personally have many, and journeys are central to understanding who we are and what we believe and what we struggle with. Mali, respond. Okay. Yeah, no, so first of all, I, I agree. I agree with you also. Of course, it's curated. It's a TV show. It's got to be curated. Um, but I didn't, I didn't find it cynically curated. I found it... That I, no, no, I, I, I didn't say cynical. I, maybe, no, I don't wanna, I'm saying yes, I didn't I know. find it I am Do cynical. I think that you're right that like there, there are always like threads that you would have wished that somebody would have picked up on and they would have gone deeper? You can't, that's the nature of television. You can't do that. You take what they put on the screen and you kind of... Use that as, you know, a spring point for your own deeper thoughts. I, I, no, no, my, my point, Molly, is that the same conversation was done by an interviewer who could then, by a really good interviewer, I would love to have someone who is, you know, like a psychologist or you sit down with someone and have you have a conversation with those same two people and they tell their story. But then you would then ask the next question of, why do you think that was? You, you know what I'm saying? That's what yeah, I was absolutely. looking for. absolutely. So, That's so what, what I, I mean. wanna, Yeah, and I agree with you because what I want to say about that is that I agree with you. I found that absolutely fascinating. And another kind of um, response that I had to the show was that it really did give us a window into the complex nature of belief and who chooses to believe and why you choose to believe. And it's so clear that belief is it's, it's not about one thing. It's not about spirituality and you believe in spirituality. It's so complex. Right? And you mentioned the phrase off the derech. Um, um, when, yeah, I, actually, Molly, I want to get to that. I actually wanted to ask you about that. So before, okay. you, before you get to that, let's take yeah. a quick break because it's okay. really an important. It's the next part of the conversation. Okay. And uh, we'll take a quick break for messages from our sponsors. And we'll be back <laughs> right after this. Stay with us. Shalom. This is Rav Johnny Solomon. And I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. 
Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, Molly, I want to come back to you. We're back. I want to come back to you, because Johnny, you used the term, I wrote it down, a journey and experience. Okay, that I think Johnny used it. I don't remember. Okay, yeah. And um, and Molly, what you said was faith is much more than just spirituality and connection to God. And I have to say, watching this show, it just it, it really concretized something in me that very often it seems that the experience that these people had, for for better or for worse, or I would even say their desire to live either a certain lifestyle or their desire to be in a certain community that they wanted to be a part of, then affected, and I'm not being cynical at all, then affects their faith and their connection to God. That it really was, you are talking about a journey and the other way around as well. The desire of someone to say, I can't stand these people that I'm associated with. They're oppressive, they're evil, they're sinners, or I, don't, like, I, I just don't want to associate with that anymore. That instead of just saying, okay, I'm not going to be like these people, like, okay, come to my show, we're good people. No, no, they... They have to disassociate their belief, or they want to, or they do, and they say, I don't believe anymore. And they don't believe anymore because they associate belief connected to that social setting. So, uh, Molly, based on in that question, so like, try to unpack it a little bit. How, like you said, what is this journey that you talk about that's not just about faith, but about so much more? Yeah, so it really is complex. So the, the truth is, if you want a, a good window, there's a book called Off the Derech, it's literally called Off the Derech, by somebody named Farinac Margulies, who I remember sitting in philosophy classes with in Stern College, uh, however many years ago that was. And it's not a new book. It's got to be, at this point, 15, 20 years old. But her basic, she, she interviewed a lot of people who had left religion, and there are a lot of organizations where you can you know, find find this phenomenon and have this, this hurt. But I, I'm using hers because it's very clear in the book. She makes it very clear that the reason that people left their religious world is in the very minority of cases about what we would call a minot video, right? About their intellectual beliefs. Have I have I met the 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 unusual person who left because they are um, they just intellectually felt that that they couldn't believe in God and that they didn't believe in Torah? And I, I have met that person, but it is the in my experience and in her experience, and I think for many people if they talk about it. It's not the majority. In the majority of cases, um, belief is not built, right? Not just why people believe, but why people do believe, right? As you said, both sides of the coin. Belief is not built on intellect. It's not a cognitive decision. It's an affective, emotional decision. It has to do with your family. It has to do with your culture. It has to do with your with chinuch. It has to do with community, right? Um, God, I always, I always, when, 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 and I speak to students, right, and and I and they, they think they're going to have an intellectual conversation about why they believe in God, why they believe in God, right? Very often, one of the first things that I try to figure out is what's their image of God, what is God, and the relationship mm -hmm. between their concept of God and. I would say how they view a parent, which doesn't necessarily mean that it's drawn off their specific parent or their own specific parent's way of interacting with them, but but the, the way they view, let's say, let's make it broader because it's not just about the family; it's also about 
education in the community. So let's just say the way they view authority and the way they've been educated to view um, authority, safety, control, um, um, uh, reasons for doing things, why they were told, the degree of autonomy they were given in their lives, whether they whether they felt that they, that the the combination of like um, boundaries and lim and 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 freedom that they were given was 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 um, a hap a happy type of a place to live in this world, or was a was a stressful the place to you know kind of experience for them. Th these things are why they how they relate to religion, right? So so you can never. Um, you talked about peer group, right? Which is another, right? It's, it's a very practical one, but it's a big one, right? There's, a, an, there's an amazing article years ago written in the New York Times Magazine called Your Friends Can Make You Fat. Um, and the point of the article was the people that you hang out with and their norms, right? If all of a sudden one friend starts running and then four friends start running, and all of a sudden you look out the window and like, what has happened here? Like, why, are, why is there like a running craze in my community, right? It happens all the time. The degree to which we are affected by our peers is subconsciously not just consciously subconsciously is 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 so great and that's what you were talking about i once i once gave a drasha in when i was a rabbi in oak park about uh women who were uh, who, uh how should i say this stop covering their hair and i gave encouragement public encouragement to the women who maintained the mitzvah kisui rosh even despite the the pressure yeah uh, but not but to do it and half the community hated me and half the community yeah. loved me and we think of it as like peer pressure and i can be aware of peer pressure and I can stand up to peer pressure. It's so subconscious, it's so subliminal that we aren't even aware of the processes that, that we're going through, right? And so I think that that was one of the greatest. No, but the interesting thing is, Molly, you're not talking about action, you're talking about even faith, belief. Faith, what people, you would right, think is an intellectual, spiritual. Correct. People sometimes think that's what I always find, and I'm sure Johnny finds this in his spiritual coaching. They think they're going to have a conversation again about a munot vadeot. They think they're going to have a conversation about is there hashgacha? Is there providence? Um, and then they just, they end up having a conversation about like, um, um, did I feel safe in childhood? They think they're going to have a conversation about authority, like even in this, even in this, um, um, series, one of the most moving ones was some, someone who he's, he, he, the first, the first, um, memory he described was a teacher mm. him and calling him a rebel. And and right. and, and him on the, yeah. on the hands and and calling him a moreh, right? A a a rebellious person. He said, "Your name is the guy's name was something moreh. Uri Elon, right?" He said, "Ata lo Uri Elon moreh. Ata, what did he say? You know, something like ata moreh, right? You 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 you're 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 rebellious, right? Like." His whole, and then he talked about how, like, the God that he experienced, he wants a bigger God than the God that he experienced as a child. He said, as a child, I was longing for a, for, for a God of my tefillot, but the God of tefillot was so small, the way tefillot was taught to me. And I wanted a bigger God. And so he, he, he very much identified, he drew that Bialik, one of the people who drew the Bialik parallel. He said, I, like Bialik, I wanted a bigger God than the God of the, Tal the Talmud, right? That's one of Bialik's most famous poems, where it's so narrow. But... That, that's so sociological. That's not, that's not, that is See, not. but so interesting is theology. that person is now, you're an adult now, so, you, but you still have the God perception well, that you had when you correct. were six. Well, welcome to being a human. That's exactly, I said that a little patronizingly. I didn't mean that patronizingly at all. I meant that in a very <laughs> sincere and like compassionate and humble way, which is like, and I think that's one of the lessons of this, this, of this show is like, 
can we all just accept that we're all humans? And that's why Johnny's word is so powerful here, which is like, everybody's on their journey. Everybody gets to where they get to because of the, the million complexities of what their personality and how it interacted with their environment and the people in their lives. And, and let's judge a little less, respect a little more, have a little more dialogue. And we're going to, we're going to gain so much from, from, from learning from those people. Johnny, talk about the journey, especially in your experience of the teaching that you do and the coaching that you do. And you began to, but I, and I, I, if I cut you off, I apologize. Speak about the idea, especially in Israel, because we're going to use that as a pivot to our next um, discussion uh, about in Israel, about this idea of the, the journey per se, or the spectrum, as I would call it. Okay. Um, with, with pleasure. You know, before we do so, I'll just share a quick Torah I, I shared a couple of days ago, which I because I think it's relevant. You know, when Chodesh Elul, at a time when Moshe Rabbein was called up, how Sinai Psolacha Shnei Luchot Karishonim. And Ibn Ezra says, Lelacha is similar to the Lech Lecha command that Avram Avinu was given. And I said, what Elul is, is a spiritual journey, just like Avram and Sarai took a physical journey. But the fact is, Elul is both, and, and religious life is both, and it's through the physical journeys we go through, right? The places we go, the people we meet, which affects the religious choices we make and perceptions we have, which is why we're just like a week away before beginning of the semester where I teach. I know some schools have already started back. You know, as a teacher, how you present faith and law and God has such an impact on the future life choices of your students. It's actually, it's petrifying. I've been teaching for more than 25 years and I'm still petrified because I've got it wrong, I'm sure, plenty of times. I hope I've got it right, uh, uh, you know, many times as well. But how you present faith and law and God will most certainly affect the perceptions. And just going back to, and I'm not gonna mention the name, but at this coaching session I had a couple of weeks ago with somebody, because it really left a mark on me. This, this person said, you know, why do the rabbis say I'm not allowed to do X? And by the way, I said, but you are. Like, the truth is, th this kid had been, had been held back by a misrepresentation of law by some teacher or another, uh, and in so doing, had lost fr was frustrated with his lifestyle and had lost trust in the reality of halakha as being a, a, a authentic guiding light to his life. You know, all of this is so, so powerful, and, and you're listening to the stories of these men and women, and you wonder whether even just one conversation from a different voice, maybe not the oppressive one that the teacher, teacher is hitting the hand, or and this woman who grew up in Natoi um, Karta, where, where things were so insistent and, and so blanket, um, maybe that would have changed things. Yeah, but it's interesting, Why Johnny, you don't know. It could be that he, they had hundreds of those, but what stuck with them was the one nasty rabbi. You know what I'm saying? It's possible. I you're right, but I, what possible. I do know, though, is a following. And, and that's, by the way, that's a personality. That's a sort of... It, what strike, struck me also is that this whole thing of Sheila Chuba, each person, it takes incredible... I don't know if I want to use the word courage, but just you, to, to make the shift, to leave the world in which you were raised, to leave the kibbutz and to become a Shomer Shabbat. I don't know, did you, did you see the one with the woman who... Uh, who decided to become Shomer Shabbat, and mm -hmm. she was married, she had a boyfriend, and she was petrified that he would just, he would leave her. Like, and, right. and you know, like the, the courage it takes to have the courage of your convictions and to leave your lech lecha, as she said, it's, uh, that's a journey, that's a, you know, either way. 
right, but what, what, I, what I would say, and this is purely from my experience, even put, put aside the coaching stuff, is we often presume that people who are not religious or less religious have no interest in religion. That's so the opposite. <laughs> the, the amount of times I'm on a plane, on a train, on a bus, just sitting somewhere, and people want to have deep conversations. I think the sad fact is that sometimes all it takes is a different voice at, a, at the right time that can make a significant difference, but too many religious people are blinkered and presume that their voice is unwanted um, and, and also sometimes separate themselves such that they're not even present for those who are seeking it. Those who have chosen the Sheila direction, they're not... Th their, their book isn't closed. Their heart's still very open. They're still yearning for things. Unfortunately, though, because of a var variety of choices, they are where they are just as much as the other people are. I want to say something about that, which is I totally I agree with Johnny 100%. I think that it's, that it's um, baked into the human experience to be searching for meaning and transcendence. Every human being is searching for meaning and transcendence. Um, the, o the only thing I would say maybe a little differently is I also agree with the second thing that you said, which is that it's therefore an awesome responsibility upon those of us who are choosing to, um, to let's say, demonstrate what we believe is the value and beauty of not just religion, but maybe even um, observance, right? To do that in a way that's not going to, um, to, be, to, tur to turn people off uh, on an individual level, on a societal level, uh, you know, in terms of our... Our, our communal structures. But I will also say that we have to make room for people who might really come to the point where, where they say, like, like we have to be, we can't be those tier of people who are like, it's all good as long as you're on the way, but really you're never really successful until you get to the point that I want you to get at. This is sort of mm -hmm. paradox in there. I can believe that for myself, right? I can believe that. I can believe that that's what God wants, but I can't say to somebody else, that I can impose that belief on you. Respect. If a person says, and again, I'm going to go back to that guy, Uri, isn't it? Ari? Ari, Ari. He, and I do think he's still searching, but he passionately believes that he has found, for him, it was like, he says, like, I went from the place of halacha to the place of chilun, what's the word he used, the secular, and he finds the secular to be the place of transcendence for him. And his mission in life is to, is to transform the secular into a transcendent place, not just for himself, but for many other people. And he would be happy staying there. And he, he doesn't need it, it, the Shulchan Aruch. And in, to be honest and respectful, we have to be able to put limits on our on ourselves and say, okay, if that's where you are, we don't have to agree with you, right? I'm not I'm not I'm not saying we have this relativism where we say that we think that their way is as is as right as our right. I don't have to agree with you. I could believe that. Really, there's a God that, that, that there's a God, and He wants us to live in a specific way. But I have to respect that his, his journey ends there, and and I have to respect him and where he ended up um, in, in terms of the way I relate to him. And and, and I'm just going to close with this. The last I found this also super moving. Um, there was a conversation between Kalman, what's his last name, the guy who 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 uh, founded Shalva. Okay. Yeah. The guy who founded Shalva, who's an incredible person in his own right. Um, and uh, I even forgot already at this moment who we spoke uh, to. Dr. Sperber's son. son of, it was the son of Sperber. Unbelievable yeah. conversation, right? And the common denominator, because I always find the common denominator is that Sperber's son has learning disabilities. And, and this Rav Kalman, I forgot his last name, 
he found a childhood because he had a son who became blind and deaf at a very young age. Um, so, so you know, was, it, they came from this place of like, what happens when you can't fulfill your potential, and how does that then relate to, to religion and observance? But the bottom line was, what struck me the most about that conversation, which is incredibly deep and profound, was that what 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 they what they said was, we we just need a place where we can listen to each other, and respect each other, and love each other, and if we did that, we would have. A, 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 our society would be in such a healthier place. And on the one hand, that sounds very kumbaya, but kind of that it's not so kumbaya and kind of read that we need more of it because people respond to it so profoundly. Like, it sounds like so, you know, loud, you know, tra-la-la, but, but if really we could do that, if really we could, we could get to a place where we made space for listening to each other and respecting each other and really building trust, like, clearly that's, that, 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 that that would take us so much farther than so many other things that we we spend our t- time and energy waste our time and energy on. Johnny wanted to respond before we go move on. Uh, well, I, I, well, I suppose it's not quite a response, uh, but a perspective. You know, a perspective about how we look at Israeli society. I know you want to move on to that, right? How who, people who are seekers. Let's. I'm, I'm not kind of bridge uh, and uh, make reference to where I, where I went to last week. Do you remember we did a, co- a episode about Hanan Ben Ari? Yeah. Right. And anyway, at the end, I said, uh, in the next couple of week or two, I was going to a Shlomi Shabbat concert with my wife. It's, uh, we just celebrated our 20th Hebrew anniversary. And we went to Chichal Tarbut, Tel Aviv, uh, just last week. And it was a fantastic concert with Shlomi Shabbat, who is a, a, a spiritual Israeli singer, meaning somebody who brings a lot of uh, different um, cultures into his music uh, and different types of music, some a little bit more... Uh, upbeat and some very much more soulful but the reason i mention that is here i was in a in basically one of the biggest halls in the country right thousands of people and one of his songs is about shabbat and uh, what's great about shlomi shabbat is all the people who are coming know his songs right and when he sings this song everybody joins in and i was standing there in a hall where you have the most secular right and there are people who are very religious and they're all there singing about shabbat I thought, wow, you know, people think they know Israel. They'd, I'm here not far from Bet Bialik. And unfortunately, some people in the religious world would presume that some people in this hall are disconnected to core values of Judaism. And I want to tell you, you are so wrong, right? They, they weren't just singing, saying, sing along. They were singing their hearts out. People... People in Israel, that they, they, they I say they wear their heart on their sleeves. Really, they wear their soul on their sleeves, and and Judaism and Jewish values are important to so many people. And there are some people who've been put in certain frameworks which not work for them. Other people have made choices to walk away. You hear different stories in Sheila Tshuva, but what this series tells me is, even those who you think have walked away haven't really walked away. They're still searching, as Marley said, right, and. And the connectivity is so loud, is so resonant, and I was overcome by listening to that that music and those singing of those thousands of people, all basically saying, "I want Shabbat." See, Johnny, it's I interesting. That's one of the things I would have loved to hear more of. Remember the, the in the conversation you just alluded to, where the the Dr. Sperber, Rabbi Sperber's son, talked about his son's bar mitzvah, meaning like like, and he wanted his father brought a Torah, and he he didn't want the. He didn't want the traditional bar mitzvah in shul, but it was clear that he wanted to have a bar mitzvah for his son. His son would read the Torah. So, like, I agree with you. I, I think that's correct. 
And I think that leads us to, if you don't mind, that leads us to the next part of our conversation, which is, as, as uh, we're going into Elul, somebody, uh, we're, we're, it's not really a very big term, but a little bit of a term, which is the, I would say, the situation in, we'll call it the Anglo community in, in Israel versus the religious community or the modern Orthodox community in Chutz Aretz. So somebody came to me, we were having lunch, and uh, she said to me, like, there's a phenomenon of children who, who are, whatever you call it, who go off the derech or whatever you want to call it, in Israel. And it's like a well-known thing in the, in, in the religious Zionist community, religious Zionist Yishuvim. And I thought about it, asked my wife, yeah, like, I don't know how many Israeli families it's a phenomenon, but definitely in the Anglo families it's true that there's a phenomenon of kids that once they leave, even during high school, but usually after they leave high school, they find their own path. And often that path does not include what we would classically consider to be Shemirat HaMitzvot. So, uh, it, and it seems, and this is totally anecdotal, but it seems that it's more prevalent, um, more prevalent here in Israel than among our peers who are living in Chutzaretz. Is that You guys are sort of nodding. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what she said to me. And I, I, it's, it's, it resonated with me too. Although I'm not among all my peers in Chutzaretz, I don't know how accurate it would be. So the question I would ask you is, is that true? A, why, and why do you think it's true? And I'm definitely, I'm, I'm sort of leading, associating with what we've talked about before. Why do you think it's true? And then I'll ask the million dollar question um, if it comes up. Uh, I'll start with Johnny. I, I get contacted by a lot of people about this kind of question. That's, uh, that's important for me to say that I, I haven't done a sociological study, but uh, this is a, a thing. I, I think it, it, it's, I don't want to simplify the difference between the Chutz Haaretz and here, because there are lots of people in Chutz Haaretz who simply walk away. Uh, and people who are here who make the choice not to do it with a struggle, which is often different, the type of um, stride with which people take outside of Israel. Again, I'm, I'm making tremendous generalizations. I'm well aware that each case is unique. But I, I do know that those who ebb away do so in a different way to those who ebb away uh, outside of Israel, based on Israel, based on the kind of way we live Judaism here. And I also know that sometimes those who what they call, may call leave orthodox practice or leave religious practice here still practice a tremendous amount for a whole variety of uh, uh, reasons. Wh why would it be in terms of the Anglos? A lot of it's to do with identity, especially if you're an Ole. You, you're very unanchored uh, to do with who you are, who you are, and trying to also sometimes prove yourself to yourself and to others. A lot of it's to do with the fact that in outside of Israel, you may have had, uh, well, you're likely to have had a shul rabbi inside of Israel, the majority don't, and the kind of pastoral care that people need, they don't have, uh, or they do have, but in different frameworks, which Anglos take a lot, lot longer to figure out. And that's why in, that, in, that, in, in those formative years, a lot of things happen. Um, and that's part of the work that I do to try and fill that gap. Uh, and it's really necessary. Um, in regarding uh, what are contributory factors? Uh, uh, the fact is, being secular in Israel isn't to be secular. It's to be, it's to be religious, uh, Jewishly rich, even if not religiously practicing. Um, and for some people, they feel they need that. Um, but at the same time, where they may think they need that might be to do with their experiences, and not necessarily their faith, as Mali said. And that's why it's important to it's, dig it's a little It's interesting, bit. now that we're talking about this, it's so interesting because 
living an Ole lifestyle, you are by definition an outsider. Like your parents, like especially if you were raised in Israel, like say your parents brought you when you were five, so you're an Israeli, but your parents are not. And so there's, there's sort of, in a way, you're kind of alienated from your parents in a sense. And you'll find yourself in a, being more comfortable outside of your home than you do even inside your home. But they speak a different language. They listen to the crazy 80s music that they grew up on. You know, this they, is why in the Ethiopian Jewish community, it's even more pronounced because your family, they're not just Alim. They're Alim that seem to be from a whole different century. And, and there are significant studies about what's happened to the second and third generation sure. there. Um, well, they're so actually yeah, coming that, back. The third generation comes back to its uh, tradition somehow. A little bit. A little bit. But right. I, I, I'm just thinking now that you're like, it's might not it might like we said if if it's not only um, religious in any sense but much more sociological it could stem very much from a need to sort of assert one's own identity independent of and because we as Anglo religious people we made Aliyah and we're ideal and we believe in X Y Z so maybe the way to assert assert independence is to to reject that in practice, to reject the practices of my parents that are less important belief-wise, more important social... I mean, I'm just throwing things out, but it seems... But don't forget also, the, the, whole, the whole value system, people like Bialik. Bialik basically was trying to create what he called the secular Jewish halakha. There, there is, within the Zionist world, there's a belief that you don't need to be religious to be Jewish, uh, you don't even to be, need to be practicing to be connected. Now, one, there's a lot to discuss there and, and a lot to disagree with, but if you hear those sentiments and you're yearning and you want to assert your identity and you don't connect to the religious practice of your parents who are already now on tier two because they were in Chutzarit and had a certain experience and now come here and doing something else. So yeah, there's a lot a lot there. I've seen a, a many, many situations like that. I'm sure Mali's seen uh, many as well. And again, to, not to generalize, but it, it's important for people to recognize the journey you're, they're going on, they're taking their kids on. You know, it's the summertime. We spoke about Aliyah at the beginning of the summer. And, uh, and this isn't something you, you shouldn't take for granted uh, a certain religious trajectory outside of Israel, certainly, and inside of Israel, even that. And it requires tmicha and, and, and an investment in many different ways. Molly, uh, those watching on News Channel 8 see that you're nodding as uh, Johnny's talking. So <laughs> share your experience and uh, what, your, what your, some of your um, thoughts about the, the phenomenon. Okay, so you raised like a lot of different issues. We could talk, spend an hour on like everything you touched on. So we'll, we'll do that. I'll just maybe, make sure some... Maybe we'll come back to it in another episode. Yeah, maybe, but, uh, yeah. You know, if you're a listener and want to hear more about that, let us know because we're, we're yeah. pretty... Uh, so Yes, yeah, so I'll just good, like you know hit a few thoughts. What one is absolutely the Anglo's making Aliyah so complex identity and um, um, culture and, and and peers and which we we have touched on in the past and and that's like its own package. And then there's Bichlal, the 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 phenomenon, um, which in Israel is called Al Haretzef, right? Which I think literally translates to mm -hmm. spectrum. And here it's talking about on the religious spectrum. Well, I just I just want to say I have no idea if it's more pronounced if the phenomenon is more pronounced among Anglo's versus not. My perception right. is that it's not. My perception right. is why so. that's what I'm saying. I'm I'm saying like we all know that the Israelis are talking about this. All, they're all talking about this. They're all talking about the Retzef and where their friends are on the Retzef. And I'm sure we all experience this as you know we're watching our own children and our children's friends and the community and you know you go to weddings and 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 the, and. They're, the 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 Noah is in a different place, and they're they're all over this very fascinating spectrum from, you know, 
however you want to, you know, market from Chiloni to like, you know, Haredi to Kav to Haredi, they're, ev- they're everywhere. But what's fascinating is that they have this concept of a retzef, and they don't feel as bound to being, that they, they don't feel that, that if I'm not in a specific place, then, then, then that's a problem. They're very free to kind of decide where they want in that space. And there's, it's all Sababa, right? There's Sababa with everyone on the Retzef and their friends being everyone on the Retzef and all deciding. And I think, I think Johnny is correct in pointing out that part of the reason for that is, is because you can be extremely spiritual. You cannot even use the word religious. You can define yourself as extremely religious without having to have that look a certain way, without that having to conform to certain strictures of halacha. You know, like, whether you're halachic or not has very little to do in in the noir, the youth's mind, with whether or not they have a relationship with God. If they there there are some who decide that it does have to do with their relationship with God, but there are a lot who decide that it doesn't at all, or they get to they're deciding, or they're creating a new halacha, or or like the world of chasidut is much more their world. Like they're just that retzef is so pronounced here, but that but but there's so much space for spirituality, for God, for connection, for, for connection to Am Yisrael. And, and another thing, one of the people said, he's like, it was the one, one where they were moved by the, by, by the Yom Kippur War. He was like, well, if God's gone, then so is if, like, God of Israel is gone, so so is Eretz Israel, and so is Am Israel. And he like, kind of like left the whole country, right? He was like, left the world. And then he came back. But the point is, because that's the Israeli experience, that it's all connected, there's so much more space on that Retzef. And I think, again, I don't want to speak about the Chutzar's experience because I think I have less knowledge of it, but I, I have heard, and I, I do kind of think it's worth considering, in Chutzar, it's very much your religious identity may be much more bound out, but bound up with the way you express yourself externally, right? Because you have to divide yourself from the non-Jewish world. So... And what makes you religious? It's the markers that make you religious. It's where you eat and where you don't eat. It's how you dress and how you don't dress. It's where you go to school and where you don't go to school. It's what community you're part of, what community you're not part of, right? You create these enclaves. And so it could be that because of that, the external markers, halakha, um, becomes more pronounced outside of Eretz Yisrael, or halakha becomes less pronounced inside of Eretz Yisrael. Um, and, and, and that might be a piece of the difference. Um, yeah, I see that you're... Yeah, I, I wanted to, like, you mentioned the word retzef, and, uh, you know, my experience, I, I'd love to hear what colleagues in Chutzarts think, but my perception of Chutzarts is that, that that retzef does not exist nearly as much. But the idea of a retzef is like, okay, you know, there's a, there's a plane, but the opposite of a retzef is you have this, and then you have a cliff, which I think is... I even which, see which a retzef I, as, as, as you're, you're making it, like, have a slope. I don't think they see it as... No, a but I'm saying, I'm saying my point is, that, like, the next like, question this person asked me was, you know, it's yeah. obviously, she said, given that choice, if you were choosing again, and you're like, Lo Aleinu, right. not you, but if you had to, question all the time, if you knew yeah. that, like, you if you make Aliyah, one of your, they, they one of your children would not be religious. But if, yeah. Right, exactly. So, yeah. like, I mean, obviously, it's like one of these theoretical questions that has no meaning, but I think the choices or the danger in Chutzarit is much, is much more stark because of, I think the Retzef is less pronounced or less available and that when a person makes a choice you know and you're you're in a certain group in a peer group in a cultural environment so when you leave the cocoon as it were or the bubble like there isn't like you're out you're either yeah. in or you're out and i think those are much starker choices that have much graver ramifications so i want to say one thing about that which was the final point i was going to make was i had a very interesting conversation with a friend of mine exactly on this issue and it started with the concern about kids 
feeling less obligated and kind of going to, you know, like um, to the side of the Retzef that's less, let's say, observant. But then she said, which was really interesting, she said, it could, the fact that there is that Retzef also means that they can always have a foot in and that like they, they don't have to leave and they can be part of it, right? And so, so what, what she basically was saying is we might, it, it might also affect the like both extremes, right? Like meaning like what looks like, like, like it could be that you would have kids who in a, let's say in America or in a different context would be more observant who aren't here because they have the options of the Red Seth and but you also have kids who you would who would be completely off and out but here because they're friends like all they're all I have to tell you I know from experience totally, people in totally. my family one of the reasons like they say you can't I mean they they're afraid of the Red Seth like I don't want my kids to come here and then not be from like me or look like me. I would feel like a failure. Like I've heard people say explicitly, many people say, I can't make Aliyah, there's no chinuch in Israel. Which is like, to an Israeli, that's the most laughable thing you've ever heard in your life, but they mean it 100% true. And what they mean is exactly this. They don't have, there's no chinuch for exactly the way I want my children to be, which is how I've been raised. Which is really, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenon. It's an interesting phenomenon. It's true, but entirely false at the same time. Johnny. I'll tell you two, two, actually three quick things. Number one, in the States actually growing, I got a message from somebody a few weeks ago who wants to identify themselves. They said, I'm not Orthodox, but I am from. I was like, okay. What, what <laughs> have, and, and, and they're what trying to explain. Right. And, and, but it, it's quite, they're trying to say I'm in a different place, but I still, uh, although I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I need to dig a little bit deeper. A, a second thing is, um, I want to mention an interesting uh, documentary called Bat Harav. I read, I, I've got it on my computer, watched it many times. It's a journey of a number of daughters of rabbis who chose to become less religious. Uh, I watched it for a number of reasons, including the fact that I have daughters. Um, and um, when you listen to their stories as to why they chose that path and also what holds them in, it, it's fascinating. So that's, I, I was, I was going to say, I haven't got a hamlatza. I'm going to throw that as a hamlatza. Yeah, Johnny, you said you didn't have a hamlatza, but now right, you're giving a hamlatza. Can't tell me the details. I would say one further thing, which is, you know, Tzchod HaShelul, and uh, I endeavor to try and get to Slichot, I'm Sfaradi, at least from, from uh, roots. And uh, the, the Slichot... In my neighborhood at night, there's lots early, early in the morning, I is where the younger people go, youth, right? So I was at Slichot a couple of nights ago in the old Bet Midrash in Ibn Shmuel with about uh, 50 uh, kids there. And what's great in a place like this, more, don't forget, it's a more, more Sephardic uh, community as it happens, but there are kids of all types and stripes, boys and girls, by the way. There were lots of girls there as well. You know, outside of it, I, I think there's importance to have a retzef because outside of Israel, you can say you don't meet this criteria, you're out. Here, there are kids of all many different ways, but they're coming to slichot. And, and that speaks volumes about both svaridiness and slichot, but also. You know, and slichot is very in. Siure slichot is now in, and music of slichot right, but is But here in. I'm talking about in the court, you know, at some, you know, place in a little you should where a kid could no, be 100%. Find By the way, I feel there. like I have to go to Sephardi Slichot at least a couple of times. Of course. Then, you know. And it's beautiful. And and so it, it, it's those people who may well be the Chazer B'Sheila, people shouldn't be so quick to think there's no way they're going to do anything religious. A number of them are going to Slichot. Many of them are singing Shabbat songs at Shlomi Shabbat concerts, right? Don't, it's it's an interesting phenomenon in Israel. There are many different types and sh uh, stripes of people each on their own journeys and we're not rooted purely by institutions outside of Israel you generally you say I fit because I know an institution to which I'm aligned here 
we just try and find ourselves, which has its problems, but also has its merits. So I want to conclude by asking, I would say, do a quick take. Okay, you said you don't have a hamletza, a quick take. In, in light of our, if Johnny can do it, Johnny made a face, he doesn't do quick takes. Okay, in, 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 in light of our conversation, we are now at the beginning of Chodesh Elul. Would, how would you now define, I know it's a whole podcast, Maya's going to say, Chazara B'Tshuva? What is the process of tshuva in light of everything we've just said? All right, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what Rav Cook would say and Rosal um, they would both say the same thing. Tshuva is a return to yourself. That's what oh. tshuva is. Tshuva is a return to your inner self. Uh, it happens to be that both Rav Cook and Rav believe that when you find yourself, you also find God, um, and you also find meaning, and both of them would also say you also find uh, that when you find God, he, he has certain... Um, once you found God, you have discovered your smallness and his greatness, and, and therefore um, that, that entails certain, let's call them... Um, I'm trying to think of a, of a word, uh, uh, obligations, perhaps, that, 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 that entails on the human spirit. But that's, that would be my answer to that question. Johnny? So I was going to say the same thing, obviously, so Marty just beat me to it. Um, but I, I, would, I would add one thing, emphasizing one word. I think actually she said it anyway, Trey. It's a journey to self, meaning it's about the journey. Chazar b'tshuva, on Elul, on that journey. People believe that tshuva is like a location. You get there, and like Miley said, in terms of uh, outreach movements, you get to that particular destination, then you're there. No, you're, you're going on a journey. I'm a different person to I was last week. I'll hopefully be somebody different tomorrow and next week. Chazabi tshuva is going on a journey towards uh, realizing the ultimate self and the ultimate connection with God from within and beyond. Um, and if you're taking those steps, then you're on that journey. And if you believe God's with you, then you should be at peace. So I actually, in light of what we said, I was going in somewhere totally different. Meaning the thing that would really em that was emphasized to me in this, like I've said before, is that how the external so affected the internal. So to me, the question maybe I should be asking myself, and if anybody else wants to, that's their choice, is what external journey should I go on that will then help me Find find myself or find my the tikkun that I'm that I'm looking for. Like Mal, you you went to the philosophy because that's your mahut. That, that's like you, the sefer chinuch shita. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? But I'm saying if chazarab is finding yourself, it's if the way to do that, if the way to change your belief is is so affected by the environment or by the externals. So then maybe the question is, what are the externals that are that are driving me to make the choices I don't want to be making and uh, to make those hard mm -hmm. choices that I'm afraid of anyway. Anywho, uh, I think it's a good place to stop. You guys want to add something? We're okay? Everybody's nodding? Good place to stop. Okay. Uh, I want to thank Rabbi Nita Malibrovsky and Rabbi Johnny Solomon um, uh, for this really fascinating conversation. I want to thank my son, Petachia. If you're listening and enjoy this and you happen to listen on the Apple podcast app, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We'd be very, very honored if you would uh, feel the, the cause of sharing our podcast with your friends and your family on your particular feeds, on your WhatsApps and your Facebooks and your Instagrams that help spread the word about RZ Weekly and let more people know about our podcast. My name is Ruben Spolter. Have a great week, everybody.